Friends, as you hear this scripture out of the book of Romans, may this be kind of an evaluative model for us as a church. Jim. Let love be genuine. Hate what is evil. Hold fast to what is good. Love one another with mutual affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not lag in zeal. Be ardent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in suffering. Persevere in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints. Extend hospitality to strangers. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Do not claim to be wiser than you are. Do not repay anyone evil for evil, but take thought for what is noble in the sight of all. If it is possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Holy wisdom, holy word. And now from the Gospel of Mark, these words. In those days when there was again a great crowd without anything to eat, he called his disciples and said to them, I have compassion for the crowd, because they have been with me now for three days and have nothing to eat. If I send them away hungry to their homes, they will faint on the way, and some of them have come from a great distance. His disciples replied, How can one feed these people with bread? here in the desert. He asked them, how many loaves do you have? They said, seven. Then he ordered the crowd to sit down on the ground, and he took the seven loaves, and after giving thanks, he broke them and gave them to his disciples to distribute. And they distributed them to the crowd. They had also a few small fish, and after blessing them, he ordered that these two should be distributed. They ate and were filled, and they took up the broken pieces left over, seven baskets full. Well, I was just writing this sermon, and I don't usually listen to music as I write the sermon. Uh, I just happened to have my iPod on uh, with the speakers. And two songs came up back to back, which was very odd. Uh, if you don't believe in God or the coincidences, this was one of those times where it was like God whispering and sometimes maybe even yelling at this. Because the first song that came up was a bluegrass song. I love bluegrass. Um, and the, the, the song title is Model Church. And in great southern old-style bluegrass, it talked about the preacher being powerful and talking about our sin. And then it talked about the relationship that we had with each other, and it talked about the fact that after worship was coming, you know, that incredible, wonderful chicken-on-the-ground time. And it was just, it was wonderful. But what was odd was, because I had the iPod on shuffle at that moment, 
the next song that came up was Jackson Brown's Lawless Avenue. I love Jackson Brown, and, and, um, and this, what was so interesting is that at the very beginning of this song, Jackson talks about catechism and church and all that you learn in church and whether or not it has absolutely anything to do with the lawless avenue, the dark places in the community. We happen to have had the privilege of spending some time with Jackson Brown uh, down in L.A., and, and uh, he did this amazing fundraiser after Katrina and had a chance to sit with him. And one of the things that, that he talked about was whether or not the church has anything at all to do with the needs of the world. And yet here they were, Jackson Brown and Katie Lang and others who wouldn't normally show up in a church standing on the chancel of the church trying to help raise money for a national disaster. The lawless avenue. The model church. What does it mean? One of the books that I spend a fair amount of time in is this. The title of the book is Unchristian. And Kinnaman, who wrote this, David Kinnaman and Gabe Lyons, particularly Gabe... um, gave some insight to it, is basically a research project about what is the perception of Christianity or the church in the midst of the world today. And they did a tremendous job uh, in a research, in the research that they did of identifying a number of things. As we study the church this morning, I want to begin with some quotes out of this book. Kinnaman writes this. The primary reason outsiders feel hostile, was the word that he used, toward Christians is not because of any specific theological perspective. What they react negatively to is our swagger, our swagger, how we go about things in the sense of self-importance that we project. And now hear this. He says, most people I meet assume that Christians are entrenched in their thinking and anti any number of things. They are angry, illogical, and are bent on empire building. They want to convert everyone, and they generally cannot live peacefully with anyone who doesn't believe what they believe. One more quote. In our national surveys, we found the three most common perceptions of, the present, day Christ- of present day Christianity are they are anti homosexual, an image held by 91% of young outsiders. This research was done um, in two sections 18 to 25 and 24 to 31 year olds. That was number one on the list. Second was that the church is and Christiana- Christians are judgmental, 87%. Hypocritical was number three, 85%. But then these big three are followed by the following, embraced by a majority of our young adults. Christians are old-fashioned. They are too involved in politics. They are out of touch with reality. They are irrelevant. They are insensitive to others. They are boring and not accepting of other faiths. And at the end of that next sentence, the word is they are confusing. He ends that paragraph saying, this is what a new generation thinks about Christianity. The book is filled with those kinds of statements that we are somehow missing the mark. And by the way, what does sin mean? Missing 
the mark. We are the missing the mark of somehow becoming relevant for a whole new generation. And it goes even beyond that. How many people are continuing to leave churches in droves because this is what they believe in their heart of hearts? And I believe there's an answer to this. And I lift up another book, and I had it up here, and I made the mistake of saying, and it wasn't a mistake, you know, anybody who wants to borrow these books, um, you know, feel free to take them home with you. And that one promptly disappeared. Um, and it is, it is a book written by uh, the most negative, crotchety jerk, maybe on the history, in the history of the planet. The man's name is Robert McKee, and he bo- uh, wrote a book this thick. I, I, I have it here showing it to you. And the book is entitled Story. Now, as crotchety and angry and negative as Robert McKee may be, as he writes this book, he writes it with incredible wisdom. Robert McKee is the most sought-after person when it comes to film writing and film production on the planet. He teaches internationally renowned workshops around writing. And what is amazing is how well his book and the language about story relates to us potentially, if we hear his words around church. For instance, see if this makes sense as I read this and think about Aldersgate and more importantly, think about our story. He writes, A beautifully told story is a symphonic unity in which structure, setting, character, genre, and idea meld seamlessly. To find their harmony, the writer must study the elements of story as if they were instruments of an orchestra. Discover each one first separately, then bring them together in concert. Then, and only then, do they create story. But hear this, and again, I could easily insert church when you hear the word story. He goes on and writes this. Good story means there is something worth telling that the world wants or even needs to hear. A belief that your vision can be, even needs to be, expressed through story. There must be a love of the dramatic, a fascination with sudden surprises and revelations in the sea changes of life. There must be the love of truth, the belief that lies cripple the artist, that every truth in life must be questioned down to one's secret motives. There must be the love of humanity, a willingness to empathize with suffering souls, to crawl inside their skins and see the world through their eyes. There must be the love of sensation, the desire to indulge not only the physical, but the inner senses. There must be the love of dreaming, the pleasure in taking leisurely rides in our imaginations just to see where they may lead. There must be the love of humor, a joy in the saving grace, his words here, that restores the balance of life. There must be the love of language. The delight in the sound and sense, syntax and semantics. There must be an appreciation for duality, a feeling for life's hidden contradictions, and a healthy suspicion that things are not what they seem. 
There must be a love of perfection, the passion to write and to tell, to rewrite and retell in the pursuit of the perfect moment. There must be a love of uniqueness, the thrill of audacity, and a stone-faced calm when it is met by ridicule. Two more. There must be the love of beauty, an innate sense that treasures the good, hates the bad, and clearly knows the difference. Finally, there must be a love of self, a strength that doesn't need to be constantly reassured, that never doubts that you are indeed a storyteller and a revealer of life. Wow. I am not sure that I have ever read a more beautiful synopsis of what the church is to be. And then I turned to our authors that we've been studying, the authors of Gracious Christianity, and as they sought to define church, watch how these two marry. And I love this first statement, though. The church is a local gathering of believers who know one another face to face. (laughs) People who put up with one another's quirks and foibles. Sound familiar? People who genuinely try to love one another often despite all of their imperfections. But then hear this. The church is the place where the story of our personal redemption, our stories of life and faith, branches out and intertwines with the stories of other persons seeking something new to turn another direction, their own redemption on the the road toward full salvation. But that road, they say, can't be traveled alone. We need to traverse it, and I love this phrase, We need to traverse it in a caravan in which we all share what writer Anne Lamont calls the rusty bent old tools of friendship, prayer, conscience, honesty, and relationships, all intertwined with continuing to seek to try and tell God's story in the midst of it all. What is amazing, friends, what is amazing (laughs) is that if you go back to the book, if you go back to the book and you read the rest of the book, what this generation is looking for in anything. Now, there is a significant belief in something beyond themselves. They call it a variety of things, but they recognize that there is a power beyond themselves at work in the world. But what they're seeking is opportunities in very relevant ways for relationship so that they can travel as a caravan together trying to figure life out. Are we providing that? And you know what? There is a tremendous amount of scriptural story that defines it for us over and over again. And over again, what is, whether it's the Hebrew Bible and the stories of all of the, the, the incredible successes and failures of those who tried to find their way, or the gospel story and the incredible failures and successes of those who tried to find their way, but without exception, were they not always in relationship? Wasn't the power of Jesus deeply invested in relationships? Wasn't the power of the Apostle Paul empowered 
because of his relationships. We're going to talk a lot about that in the coming months. Was it what protected the church as Rome tried to destroy it? Protected because of the strength of relationships. All of it's there. And I want to talk about one more piece. Let's put the slide up. Last Thursday night, as I said, as I was leaving, trying to turn left onto Newport Way, trying to head home, there were no less than 30 cars lined up trying to make a left-hand turn into, not the library, into this church. 30 cars. And I watched as they came in, knowing that they were high school kids and they weren't going to let me through. (laughs) Partly because... They knew what was waiting for them in that room right over there. Carbo loading. Spaghetti. And they just kept coming. And they kept coming. I had talked to Bill Ferguson earlier that week, is is made the decision that this was going to be an okay thing to have the kids in Friendship Hall. And by the way, what's the name of the hall? Friendship. Friendship Hall. And, but I was worried about our troop of kitchen protectors. Every church has them, and I praise God for them every day. <laughs> every church has them, and I praise God for them every day, as long as what it doesn't become is a fortress of protection. I worried about these big, huge pots of spaghetti and particularly the sauce that these parents were bringing in for these kids. But again, I will tell you, there were already probably 30 cars in the parking lot as I waited on Newport Way. Every car that came in, every one had one or two or three or four high school students coming to this church. And so in talking to Bill Ferguson, I thought, wouldn't it be cool if we created a banner? And Bill is incredible. And I just said, okay, all, the only thing I mentioned was that maybe we could change the name of the church for that day. And instead of being Aldersgate, you know, U-N-I-T-E-D, we could be that. U-K-N-I-G-H-T-E-D. Which is, by the way, their mascot. The response, as the banner went up, not facing this way but that way, the response by the parents and those who were arriving was overwhelming. It was overwhelming. Overwhelming. And what they did at the end was was folded it up carefully so that it could do two things. One was to help these kids know that there was a place in the community that absolutely supported them and would provide space for them at, at any moment even if it meant making a mess of the kitchen. Sorry, and and it didn't. They were incredible. It was an incredibly respectful group of where they were. But the other piece of it was, that afternoon was the creation of all of the bins for Andrews Glen. And all of the bins and the bags that were getting ready to be delivered yesterday were sitting out here in the narthex. And so every one of the kids who came in this door had to walk by those. And there were questions about what they were. That, friends, 
is witness. That's witness. Then they lost their coach on Friday morning. And my hope and prayer is that they know that we are here for them. Also, witness. If we opened our doors to let them eat in Friendship Hall, then maybe we're here for them in other ways. That is the church. We didn't feed the homeless on Thursday night. We did, however, feed the hungry. We didn't reach out into somewhere else of incredible need in the community that had to do with finances. We did, however, invite in those who are in need of a space. I don't care whether any one of those kids comes to church. I don't care. I do care that what we continue to do is reach out to them. And if that somehow turns into something else, fine. That's not why we do this. We do this because we need to reach into the community in places of need. And that was a place of need. Just ask pages about that. So friends, we have work to do that goes far beyond and deeper than maybe what we've done so far. And I look forward to traveling this journey together in caravan. Let me close with this thought. What's been really fun as Dorothy and I have gone, in some cases just me, have gone to these meet and greets. What's been fun is watching you, because we get to just sit back and I get to ask some of the questions like, what brought you to this church? And what are your dreams for the church? And invariably what happens after the hour or so that, that the stories are told is that somebody will say, you know what, I, I've known Bud for years, but I had no idea about that. The purpose of story and the purpose of church is to allow all of us to come together to share our stories. To share those places where we may be in need and those places that bring us joy. It is to intertwine those with the needs outside of us. That is the church. And I thank you. I thank you for the way in which you do that. And let's keep going. Will you pray with me? God of all creation, we are just seeking to be your disciples. To be the church in a place of need. Help us be relevant. Help us not to get so caught up in what we feel like we need to be for each other. But help us get really caught up in what it is that we need to be beyond these doors. Help us to open these doors in ways that maybe we haven't done before. Help us to continue to go from this place as was so beautifully described by one of our kids this morning. Be that place that carries good news out to those who need some. Guide us as your people. Guide us as your church. All this we ask in the powerful name of Jesus the Christ. The one we seek to follow. 